good morning. It's good to be together today and uh, for on this Lord's Day. It's His Day, right? We are uh, beginning next Sunday going to observe the Advent season. And uh, so we're, I always think, like who decides those things? Not us because we're not liturgical. <laughs> but uh, folks follow a calendar for Advent. The first Sunday of Advent is November the 27th. So we're going to start next week with some Advent messages through uh, Christmas Day. Christmas Day is on a Sunday this year. Christmas Eve is a Saturday. We'll have a candlelight service on Christmas Eve and on Christmas Day. I hope you'll begin now to think, whose birthday is it that we're celebrating that day? Christ, right? His birthday. It's not any of our birthdays to be passing around presents and doing all those things, although I like that. I like all the stuff that goes along with it. But that's his day. It's the Lord's day. And so I hope that you'll purpose in your heart that we will gather to worship on that Lord's Day, just like we would other Lord's Days. Turn with me to Luke chapter number 17, and uh, we're going to take a break from Hebrews until January as we uh, do Advent and today Thanksgiving. And so in Luke chapter 17, we'll begin there at verse number 11, and um, we're going to talk today about the lost art of thankfulness or thanks living. Uh, Luke 17, beginning with verse 11, the Bible says, Now it happened, as he went to Jerusalem, that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. Then as he entered a certain village, there met him ten men who were lepers who stood afar off. And they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. So when he saw them, he said to them, Go, show yourselves to the priest. And so it was that as they went, they were cleansed. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, returned, and with a loud voice glorified God and fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks. And he was a Samaritan. And Jesus answered and said, Were there not ten cleansed, but where are the nine? Were were there not any found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Arise, go your way, your faith has made you well. Father, thank you for the Bible, and we pray that you use it to speak into our lives today about this uh, important attitude and reality in our hearts of of being grateful people, and we pray that you'll speak to change us and to open our eyes and to uh, shift our way of thinking and being, and we pray your Spirit will use this time in our lives, and we pray it in Christ's name, amen. Most pastors have some, uh, that, like I have digital software, Logos, that I use for my Bible study. It almost invariably comes with a free commentary set by a guy named Matthew Henry. Matthew Henry was a pastor from another generation, and uh, he wrote extensively uh, on Scripture and uh, gave us a, a gift that most pastors are familiar with. Well, Matthew Henry was mugged. He was, he was robbed. And he, if we think about his attitude, there's a lesson that we can take from it ourselves. This is what he said after he was mugged. He wrote in his diary that it, uh, we, we see. He says, let me be thankful first because I was never robbed before. Second, though they took my purse, they did not take my life. Third, because all they took, although they took my all, it was not much. <laughs> and he says, and fourth... Because it was I who was robbed, not not I who robbed. That's a pretty good attitude, right? 
says, I was, you know, I'm glad it wasn't me. I'm glad that that isn't who I am. But his attitude expresses for us a good model for thankfulness. And as we read this passage and think on it today, what we see is a story of ten lepers who had an opportunity to be grateful. And as we see in the narrative, only one return to express thankfulness and what we can learn from that. So here are the realities I think we see in this passage. First off, that thankfulness is responding to God's goodness. It's responding to God's goodness. So we say, what, God is good how often? All the time, and all the time God is good. So God is good to us, and acknowledging that deliberately in our life is what gratitude and thankfulness looks like in the passage we see that jesus went through samaria and uh, most of the time that's not what people in the first century did we know about the samaritans from sunday school and uh, basically why was it that the uh, jews that were in jerusalem were opposed to samaritans why what was it about well they had uh, been calf worshipers that was a big part of it and the divided kingdom when Israel became divided into a southern kingdom which initially was faithful and a northern kingdom the northern kingdom were calf worshipers and so they were idolaters and they went into captivity first and when they came back the land was repopulated by people who were uh, compromisers and so they were their religion was uh, blended and uh, they weren't considered to be pure Jews either because ethnically they were mixed and compromised in the eyes of the historical uh, uh, Israelites, the people in the southern kingdom who came out of Jerusalem and only later went into captivity because of their own unfaithfulness. But the Samaritan, uh, if you're familiar with the idea of the Pharisees in the first century, the idea uh, in that name means to separate out from. So a Pharisee separated him out, uh, himself out was strictly religiously conscientious in a way that they didn't give credit to the Samaritans. They thought the Samaritans are compromisers, they're mixed, they're not pure, and so they avoided Samaritans. But it's interesting, Jesus usually takes the Samaritan often in his uh, in the stories that he told and also in the experiences that he had and he makes them what? Kind of the hero in the story as we see in this particular one although he's really the hero. But the, he doesn't avoid Samaria. He doesn't say, based on your past, I'll have nothing to do with you. He goes right through Samaria and he often surprised the disciples when he, he went through Samaria and, and interacted with the people there. But as he passed through their region, he encountered ten lepers. And so leprosy in the first century was a slowly progressing and incurable skin disease. It, it, was, you were, it caused all kinds of complications for the person that had it, as we know, not the least of which was that they were social outcasts. It was contagious. When you encountered anyone, you, you were uh, responsible to cry out and to say, what, you remember from Sunday school? Unclean. I am unclean. And so they avoided people. That's why in this passage it says when they see Jesus, they stand afar off. 
They stood afar off. They didn't come close to him. And they, and they shouted out to him uh, to be healed. And so their lives, they suffered physically, of course, and they suffered socially. They were immersed in shame and loneliness. That was the kind of lifestyle that these people had, and often were in colonies or away from their families. And so being healed for them, we can't, it's hard to appreciate everything that it meant to be healed in their situation. Just think about that. that you, just think about that you never get to go sleep in your own bed. Never. You never get to go into your own home and be with your family. Doesn't ever happen for you. You're always with other people who are considered by the entire society to be unclean. And not and and so you're isolated from other people. You can't earn a living, you can't provide for your family. And so healing for them opened a world of possibilities. And so much that was lost was restored in an instant. And we think about what did they get by being healed? They, they it's hard to estimate everything that they had, the capacity to go back to their home and to go to work and to provide and to have the burden of shame lifted so that they didn't have to identify themselves by yelling out to people, keep away from me. So their, their lives in the, this incident of being healed, it's incredible, everything that came back to them. And that really is a picture of God's grace to you and to me. That everything that we had lost is restored to us in an instant. Our lives are given back to us. And there's endless potential in the grace that you got when Jesus came to you. I like how it's expressed in the book of Romans chapter 8 verse 32. It says, God who didn't withhold his own son from us, how shall he not also through him freely give us all things. In other words, what we got in Jesus is an inestimable gift. There's no way that you can appreciate everything that came to you when he came to you and when he delivered you and he rescued us. It's why Jesus tells the Samaritan woman at the well in the Gospel of John, the one that drinks, he says, from this well will never thirst again because in him are unbelievable gifts and so as we try to think through what is thanksgiving what does it mean to be grateful you know one of the things that we can clearly see from this passage is that it's a response to God's goodness but secondly it's just remembering God it's not forgetting don't we see that in this passage that like it's not clear to us except then I think in the antenna of this uh, story being remembered and written down is that basically 90% of the people in the story didn't be, uh, behave with gratitude, did they? 10% of those who were affected responded with gratefulness, and probably that's instructive, I would guess, that thankfulness is remembering God. It's not forgetting. And, you know, one way I thought about it that we express that is when we sit down to give thanks at the table. You know, heaven forbid that we ever forget to say, thank you, God. Thank you. You're the one, you're the, you know, a lot of times people don't recognize that he's the source of our health and he's the source of everything that we have. And we take, take it upon ourselves to think, I, it's because of me. No, 
The only reason that we have health and the capacity to earn and, and the opportunities that we have is because every good and perfect gift comes from above, from the Father of lights, who doesn't change like shifting shadows. He provides. He is the one who uh, we ought to always, and that's just one small illustration in a person's life, but I hope when we sit down to receive food into ourselves, we can take a moment and say, thank you, God. We acknowledge that this came from you. It's not forgetting our source. And so gratitude, we think about it. I don't know how other people are. I only know how I am. And sometimes I can struggle to be a grateful person. I don't know why. I just know that it's true. So gratitude, when we think about it in the way that it appears in the Bible, is two things. It's a spiritual marker. How do I know that I'm where I need to be with God? How do I know? Does my life regularly exhibit a grateful attitude? That's one way I know. But but the other thing is, it's not only uh, a spiritual marker, it's a commitment, a goal that I ought to have. Because what I have to do is overcome my tendency not to be thankful. To go, I can choose and decide whether or not I'll be a grumbler or whether or not I'll be grateful. So it's a commitment to be pursued in your life, a priority to be set and followed after. So it's a marker. I know that I'm where I need to be if I'm grateful, but it's also something I've got to wake up thinking about each day. Am I going to be like that or will I not be? It's interesting in the history of Israel that God was good to them to give them a country in a land that they didn't previously possess. But God warned them not to forget his goodness after he had faithfully provided for them freedom, as he did in the Exodus, and then a home, a homeland, a country. Listen to what it says in the book of Deuteronomy about that. The scripture says, So it shall be when the Lord your God brings you into the land of which he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and to Jacob, to give you large and beautiful cities which you did not build, houses full of all good things which you did not fill, hewn out wells which you did not dig, vineyards and olive trees which you did not plant. When you have eaten and are full, then beware lest you forget the Lord who brought you up out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. God predicted this is what's going to happen to you if you're not aware He says, you'll forget that all of the things that you enjoy didn't come because of you. They came because of me, because of God. And so the the Bible shows us who our source is. One writer, Leon Morris, says, apparently the nine were so absorbed in their new happiness that they could not spare a thought to its source so absorbed in their new happiness that they couldn't spare a thought to its source. Probably a more true word couldn't be said about the United States of America and most people. It's like we're blessed, we have everything we need, can't take time to think about the source, the one who provided for us. Grateful behavior is the evidence that we're not forgetful of our source. So how do I overcome my own tendency to... Uh, not be a grateful person. Gratitude list help me. I've said before I like to journal. Usually I journal every day. And one of the things I do after I reflect on 
the things that I, I want to and put down the thoughts that I do is to make a list. What am I grateful for? I force myself to be mindful of why I should be grateful. So I try to make a gratitude list. Kindness is evidence that I'm not taking my blessings for granted because sometimes unkindness shows that I'm not grateful. If I were grateful, I would be more kind to the people around me. I would think about how blessed I am to experience grace and forgiveness and extend that in other situations. A generous heart, I think, is an evidence of a thankful person. How do I know that I'm uh, experiencing or expressing gra- gratitude? Are we generous? Do we give of ourselves? And do we are we a blessing back? So being being willing to serve with a good attitude, with a good attitude, I think is an evidence of a thankful person because that person is saying, "I've been blessed. I want to be a blessing." So we serve. That's our identity too, by the way. That's who Christ says you are. He says when he washed his disciples' feet, as we remember, he said, you know what I'm doing? You call me master and Lord, and so I am. If I've washed your feet, he says, you ought also to wash one another's feet. So he gives us that illustration. So a grateful person's not a taker, not a consumer, but a servant. And so we we think about how do we what do we see in this passage that shows us how to regain this kind of lost art of thankfulness? Well, it's remembering God, it's knowing that He's our source, but it also shows us in this passage that thankfulness is a choice, it's a decision. Only one person made the decision in the story. The other nine went on with their lives. It's interesting because Jesus says to the one, Your faith has made you well. And we wonder, and only, only all we can do is speculate, you know, because it says they were all healed on the way, so I assume they all were healed. But Jesus says to that one guy, your faith has made you well. And I think there are two ways of being well. We can be well physically, and I think all those people were well physically. But I don't think they were all well spiritually. I think, I think only one guy was, and he was the, the Samaritan, the person that expressed thankfulness. All of them physically were made well, but lots of physically well people are not thankful people, are not spiritually rooted and grounded in worship. And so he, thankfulness is a choice that we can see that, that we make ourselves, and we can go to our source and acknowledge him with praise, even if everything isn't ideal, maybe especially because Everything isn't ideal because how often in your life is everything ideal? Most of the time it's not. Something disrupts or changes our peace. That happens all the time, whether it's like everyday flat tire kind of things or bigger picture, you know, sorts of things that happen. But we, if we're going to be grateful people, it would be in, sometimes in less than ideal circumstances that we end up being grateful. There was a, um, I, in the old hymnals, there's a writer named Martin Rinkert who was actually a German pastor who in 1636, amidst the darkness of the Thirty Years' War, is said to have buried 5,000 of his parishioners. In one year, an average of 15 a day of the people that he had care for passed away. And his parish was ravaged by war and death 
an economic disaster. And in the heart of that darkness, with the cries of fear outside of his windows, he wrote a table grace for his children that says, Now thank we all our God with heart and hands and voices, who wondrous things hath done, and whom this world rejoices, who from our mother's arms hath led us on our way with countless gifts of love and still is ours today. So in the middle of pestilence and difficulty and death, and he was able to maintain that kind of outlook. The book of Hebrews says, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of our lips that acknowledge his name. Let us continually offer up to God a sacrifice of praise. That is the fruit of our lips offering praise to God. That's our responsibility. That's a choice that we can make. And so we also see in this passage that thankfulness is pleasing to God. He's pleased by our uh, attitude of gratefulness and the expression of it in our life as it, as it appears, which it, his, his purpose is that it would consistently appear in our life that kind of attitude. He commands thankfulness in Scripture. In everything, he says, give praise, for this is the will of God for you. Sometimes we wonder, what's God's will for me? Don't people ask that question all the time? In everything that you give thanks, this is the will of God for you, the Bible says. It doesn't say, as someone pointed out to me one time, for everything, that's a different preposition for everything that's not what it says but it says in everything maintain the attitude of thanksgiving to god because that's possible i'm not thankful for for everything that happens sometimes i'm like that's terrible (laughs) i hate that this is what's true right now but in the midst of that the scripture says we we can be thankful and we feel better when we're thankful. There's something in our physiology that tells us that grumbling is harmful. Don't you notice that? Don't you feel better when you're thankful than when you're grumbling? Sometimes I have to apologize afterward about my attitude to the person closest to me who has to put up with that nonsense. But something in my physiology tells me there's a better way, you know, than being a grumbly person that... To be thankful is, is, is better. Plus, when we grumble, who are we re- really grumbling against? Have you ever thought about that? Who do you grumble against when you're grumbling? I think if we look closely, we'd see that it's God that we're grumbling against. The Bible tells us, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, as we see in James and we see in Peter and other places. Romans says exactly the same thing. It says that when we're uh, going through difficulty, God often uses that to shape us and to make us the person that he wanted us to be, a mature person. And so in difficult times, God is working to make us into his image. So thankfulness is pleasing to God. And then we see, too, that thankfulness is expressed in worship. Only one person in this passage turned back to worship and the, the words that are used are interesting. One, uh, one word is uh, the, that word that we get, would get thanksgiving from. It's the, uh, the, U, the word Eucharist, maybe you're familiar with as a word in theology. Uh, it shows up as like when we celebrate communion. 
That's the Eucharist in some uh, people's understanding. Why? Because when Jesus blessed the bread and he blessed the cup, that's the word they used, the, the same word. He gave thanks over it. And so that word appears in this passage and, and the idea of glory. We used to sing the doxology. You sang the doxology in your life. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him all creatures here below. Praise him above ye heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. That's the doxology. The word means to ascribe glory to our creator. And that word appears in this passage a couple of times that he came back and with a loud voice he glorified God. The Samaritan did. So thankfulness is worshiping. And our, if our salvation doesn't turn us into more grateful people, as Henry Blackaby said, there's something wrong at the heart of our love relationship with God. Something's wrong. We need to go there and take a look. We should be careful of having a religious spirit. In, again, thinking about Samaritans. Why do Samaritans appear to be sympathetic figures in Jesus' teaching? as they often do. It's the Samaritan who, in the story of the Good Samaritan, is the only person who stops and expresses care for another human being. Everybody else, even though they're religious, they don't stop and care for their brother. They just let him lay there in his suffering in his blood. The only person that stops is the Samaritan. Why is that? That Jesus would pluck up out of their religious experience the Samaritan and make him a sympathetic figure I think it's because in a way he's an outsider he's an outsider their religion sort of denigrated into insiders and outsiders but the insiders were often the least healthy spiritual people the Pharisee why is it that Jesus is at odds with the Pharisee all the time why is it that the religious insider is often the person that Jesus has the most problems with. We should think about that because we're kind of religious insiders. Here's what I think, what I've noticed is that the longer we're insiders, the more likely we are to forget about grace. We forget about grace. We think of, how did I get to be an insider? Well, God took this broken, alienated, sinful person and he gave to me a incredible gift I didn't deserve it I couldn't earn it and he gave it to me and I think that what's, what sometimes happens to Christian people is that the longer we're insiders the more adversarial we become toward the people outside that are just where we were before grace found us so I think that's why he takes the Samaritan and often puts him at the center of the story as a sympathetic figure because he's like look at this outsider doing the right thing Look at this outsider with a tender heart for people. Look at this outsider who's a worshiper and is literally doing what maybe others are talking about. I think that's why he takes that person and he goes, this is the example that I want you, I want you to be able to model your own worship and life after. Religious entitlement didn't interfere with his ability to be truly grateful. <clears throat> so... I think that's why this story comes to us the way it is. Of course, I also think it's a narrative of factual things that happened. So when we think about the attitude of gratitude that 
God wants us to have. Jesus marveled, didn't he, that 90% of those who experienced healing did not afterward return to glorify God. 90%. His idea is that praise should follow blessing. That's a good life rule from Jesus. Praise should follow blessing. Have you been blessed? Has God done incredible things for you? Well, of course. So then the Bible says praise should follow blessing. What comes out of us should reflect what's happened to us. And praise is responding to God's substantial and hefty blessings. He's heaving blessings on us. It's in, incredible what God's done for us. And the, the response, the right one from us is to have a worshiping life, to acknowledge the goodness of God. To humbly accept our state. This is what people struggle with. People that aren't thankful struggle with the idea that uh, humility should teach you this. You are a creature, and he is the creator. That's what people struggle with. They think, no, all this is because of me. No, it's not. There's a creator, and it's not us. We were created. We're finite. We were created by someone who says, what I want from you is your worship. I want you to ascribe to me the reality about this situation, which is that without me, you have nothing, are nothing, can do nothing. That's what he wants. It's what he deserves, is to be worshipped because of how he provides and how he cares. Paul David Tripp, one of the finest writers, I think, of our day and thinkers, says, no one celebrates the presence and grace of the Lord Jesus Christ more than the person who has embraced his daily need of it. We recognize who, who he is and what he does. Thanksgiving is an American holiday, but a biblical imperative. A way of life for those who look up and don't forget that God is good all the time. And I would say the most important way that God's been good to all of us is expressed in what the Scripture says, where it says that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not accounting their sins to them, but instead expressing mercy and washing away our sin and then committing to us a ministry of reconciliation. That's what we have to be glad about, is that God's cleansed, forgiven, and made a way for us to know him. And, and so as we listen today, if that's not a reality in, in your life, then of course that's a, an important reason that we come together, is so that people might know Jesus. And then those of us that know him might grow in our worship and grow in our service and and maturity as followers of him. We're going to have a time of commitment now, and we invite you to stand together with us now as uh, our musicians come, our praise praise team. And um, would you stand together with me, and we'll offer a prayer to God. If there's a way that you need to respond during this time, I encourage you to do so. I'll tell you something I'd like to do, because when we uh, rebuilt this stage, we took away the kneeling altar here. And someone brought that to my attention. I think it's a good observation that uh, it would be cool if we could buy some big pillows, perhaps, like you would put on your sofa and uh, put them around the front here for people like me whose knees hurt when they kneel down to pray. But it wouldn't be a bad thing at all if we brought back the uh, use of 
uh, praying altar. And it, why? You think, I can pray at home, yeah. But there's something about it that expresses humility in our worship. And so think about that. If God lays it on your heart to buy a pillow that matches the carpet in here, nobody will be, be mad at you for doing that. But um, let's, as we sing, if there's a way that you need to respond, I encourage you to do that. Yeah.